1: Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak,
0: and Garrett Spain.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta podcast devoted solely to the Braves Farm System and Braves Prospects. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on BatteryPower.com, formerly TalkingChop.com, where I've been the deputy site manager since 2018 and the minor league editor since 2015, joining me as it is basically every week is my good buddy and longtime colleague. You can follow him over on Twitter at BravesMILB. Garrett Spain, how are you doing, buddy?
0: Hey, doing good. Only got a uh, couple weeks left for the main part of the schedule. Gwinnett's going to run a little bit long, but we're going to be winding down our coverage here pretty soon, it
1: looks like. Yeah, it's actually kind of a wild schedule, to kind of, I guess we should go ahead and just tell our listeners now. Uh, the, the the first piece of news I think everyone needs to be aware of is that short season ball is over. So that means the Dominican Summer League, that means the Florida Coast League Braves, both of those teams no longer are going to be uh, having any more games. And that is why we had a lot of roster uh, moves to move guys up to Augusta. That's why you're seeing a lot of the draft class over to Augusta, et cetera, et cetera. So. That means that that's kind of where things start to wind down for us. Uh, starting on September 11th, I believe, we're going to then lose Rome as well as Augusta, at least for regular season games. And then we then a week after that, you lose Mississippi. And then finally, at the end of the month is when Gwinnett finishes up. And again, that's just to kind of at least have one minor league affiliate going just in case someone gets injured. and You have someone that you can call up who's actually been playing baseball games. So again a bit a bit of weirdness kind of down the road but again this is this next month this is, things really start winding down for us and it's going to be a you know a, a much different look and you know how what the show looks like it, you know over the course of those last few weeks we'll kind of play by ear and kind of see what's going on but just so you know that's kind of the changes that we're seeing at the minor league level at the moment now Garrett that brings us to I think the biggest news of the week and it has nothing to do with the Braves specifically uh, MLBPA, the Players Association, sent out a ballot to all minor leaguers. I believe it's all minor leaguers. I don't think that they – I certainly wouldn't think that they would just like do it selectively. They want to get as many signatures for this as they can. They sent a ballot out to have them basically announce that they would like for the uh, Major League Players Association to represent them as a union And this is kind of the first step of basically incorporating minor leaguers into MLBPA. Uh, They have to first be able to demonstrate that a majority of minor league players want to join the minor league, want to join the union, and then they have to go through an entire process, you know, with the labor board and all that stuff to actually make that happen. But this is pretty big news, man, and there's a lot of ramifications that, you know, most I think are very good overall, but there could be some, certainly some unintended consequences here. So tell us a little bit about kind of your thoughts about, you know, unionizing the minor leaguers and seeing what happen and what happens.
0: Yeah I mean it's you know they it's time for them to get paid what they deserve I mean at this point there's been a very long sort of movement towards getting them paid a living wage and you know obviously we're not going to see these guys getting paid you know a few hundred thousand dollars a year but Getting paid enough to support themselves and their families. One, that's good for the organization if their players can eat consistently. So I really don't know why it hasn't been a thing, anyways. But two, just for their own being able to focus on baseball and really make that an actual career rather than having to make financial decisions this is going to be good for a lot of players. I think the only concern is. MLB and ownership in general has made it very clear that they are not above just cutting out you know, minor league affiliates and cutting down the size of the minor league system significantly. They've already done it once, and they would be very willing to do it again. The thing is, is they have – ownership has the money to pay all of the players they have now with very little impact on their bottom line, if any at all. Uh, they're actively choosing not to, and they will probably continue to do whatever they can to abs to not do that in the future. And so it runs the risk of further condensing the minor leagues and really changing the structure. It could potentially change the structure of it overall if you know teams decide that they don't want to pay 150 players. They only want to pay the top 40 or 50 that suddenly affects the system that affects independent leagues and how they're going to operate. And it affects how colleges are going to operate. It's going to affect how it's how the draft operates in terms of you can't, you know, if, if it ends up reducing, well, one, a lot of those senior signs that for example, would get paid, a low amount of money may not ever get signed for example because they don't necessarily want to pay them a living wage which is dumb but that's the decisions these teams make and you know it's going to have a very it's going to have a very wide ranging effect in terms of how these things are just approached in terms of teams are going to be focused on not necessarily having as much filler that they're paying just to be warm bodies there And how that affects the structure of the minor leagues overall is going to have a huge impact on really every facet of the amateur level, the draft, the international classes, and just professional baseball going forward in terms of all leagues.
1: Yeah, this is um... – This is a loaded topic and one that I don't think we're going to have a full appreciation for kind of what the impacts are going to be. Uh, first and foremost, I think that this vote is going to pass. I feel, I feel confident in suggesting that the, a majority of minor leaguers want to join MLBPA to have a voice at the table, and I think that the MLBPA is going to be able to demonstrate that they have that support from all the minor leaguers to do so. I don't think that this, I will say though, that I don't think that this process through like the National Labor Board and, um, you know, kind of actually integrating them into the union, I wouldn't expect like, even if they get all their, like everyone turns in their cards tomorrow and they all say, we want to join MLBPA, I still think that this is a, a, a a particularly quick process. So for those that are thinking like, wow, next year these guys are getting paid, that's not, I think, how this is going to work on a number of levels. One is I think that the actual process of getting them into the union is going to take a little while. And also, making them part of the union and then actually being having terms negotiated under the CBA are very different animals. I don't think that we're going to see the actual codified results of minor leaguers being in the Players Association until the next CBA. Now, that said, I think it's entirely possible that Major League Baseball will plan in the future, or at least plan ahead before the CBA, that if they think that this is going to be the case and that they're going to have to, you know, it's going to cost this much to, to keep players under contract and all that stuff, I could very well see a restructuring of the minor leagues in general. Uh, you know, we were talking about this in the slide Channel, and Chris was mentioning that you know he could see a world where you know they have w- just one minor league. Uh, And then they also have kind of an alternate training site type situation, which would certainly limit the game experience for a lot of these guys, at least official games, you know, where there's wins and losses, whereas at the alternate site, be a lot more scrimmages and things like that. I could he sees a world where that could possibly be the case. I don't I wouldn't be shocked if at least baseball explored that possibility. It's difficult to project, though, just because baseball has operated under this framework of multiple levels in the minor leagues. For such a long time that I don't know if anyone really knows how that would impact player development, what would be good about it, what would be bad about it uh there and there are pluses and minuses to it uh you know with less levels you maybe you get get even these like really good guys who are coming right out of high school if they really prove themselves quickly then they're not you're not waiting around for these guys for three or four years to get to the major leagues. they could get there reasonably quickly, but what impact does that have on them? Is that even gonna happen all that often? Um, what kind of terms the MLBPA is going to try to negotiate for these guys. And then there's the whole mess with, you know, is there going to be an international draft by then? I mean, obviously they missed the deadline this year to be able to put that into effect because we're going to have the, you know, because they didn't meet that that deadline, we're going to have the qualifying offer this off season. But is that ever going to be implemented? And if so, how is that going to be implemented? How do you integrate international players into all this? This is, this is, you know, are they going to be drafted? Are they going to be operating still under the same international free agent system? This is a big deal, and I don't want to understate that, but at the same time, there's a lot to take in here. Uh, and what's going on in the minor leagues, just in general, between the realignment that we saw, we also had the settled lawsuit from earlier this summer where ML, Major League Baseball is paying, like, I think $185 million to minor leaguers for, you know, basically for back pay. Uh, for, you know, the time that they should have been paid uh, it, it, during the times in their careers. You know, what, what impact does this have on how Major League Baseball decides they want to handle their player development going forward? How does this impact the negotiating stance of the Players Association? How much are they willing to go to bat for these guys? It's clear that they want to be going to bat for them, but exactly how much money ends up, you know, going into their pockets, we don't really know. Uh, we, and we, we're not going to know for a long time, but it's a very it's a fascinating story and one that I think is a welcome development. But keep in mind that it might not all be good news here, um, especially with you know a lot of these a lot of teams kind of selling off their minor league affiliates now. Is that going to continue now? Now that there's a, the the specter of you know MLBPA being over my, the the minor league players and does that impact whether or not you know investors wanting to buy minor league teams and you know does that mean that it's harder to you know really kind of invest in that type of product i don't really know it's it's, it's again a fascinating topic and one that we're going to keep an eye on closely but don't expect it to be resolved anytime soon um the other big news that we have uh, is more on the rehab front uh we have mike soroka rehab starts uh orlando arcia and chadwick trump are going back are uh, uh, hitting hit the field again. Ozzie Albies supposedly sometime this week is going to be rehabbing as well. So Gwinnett's going to be a weirdly fun place to watch. Uh, most of for seeing guys that we're used to seeing in Atlanta actually taking the field. So tell us a little bit about how it's been going on with these rehab guys.
0: Yeah. um Soroka had another start this week with triple A. Wasn't a very, wasn't a particularly good start for him. Uh, his first two at triple A have just been a little bit, man, overall. Um, I Again, I don't think that he's at a point right now where the results are that important. It's just about staying healthy for him. So far, he's staying healthy, throwing a few more pitches every game, and that's the goal here: is just to get him back fully into playing shape and get feels uh, get a feel for his pitch. And really, you know, the results. I think with Soroka, the results will come when he gets back f- fully physically into the game. Um Arcia and Trump. I mean, those are Bench guys, both are guys that, you know, Rosters are going to expand very, you know, within a couple of days. And when you see that happen, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Arceus presumably lost his job to Von Grissom at this point, though we're not really sure what, what's going to, whether Grissom is going to stay up when Albies comes back. Um, we don't know the situation with there. I don't, I would not be surprised to see them run with three, catchers and have Trump up there in September I would almost think it is this has been discussed in the Slack channel and I can't remember is is there a limit on pitchers in September is it it, does it can you add pitchers with both of those slots or is it one pitcher one hitter
1: I I think that we are the, the it seemed undecided. <laughs> the okay. story. Um, right. uh, uh, I, there might be clarification on it, and honestly, I'll defer to, you know, in terms of, like, the major league roster rules, I kind of just roll my eyes sometimes, especially when we're operating on these new rules with, Petri- with pitcher and, and position player limits and how that changes with September. Uh, I will say, though, that I think it's less likely that Orlando Garcia's lost his job and more likely that here hear has lost his job. Um. Well, that, I meant I, I where, mean, where, yeah, yeah, where, I know. I, where Arcia was just, starting in place of. Oz. Well, yeah, but but with Ozzie but coming back, yeah, right, with Ozzy coming, I with, mean, that's with,
0: not going to be an issue for very long. He's still to yeah, be adventure guard. Yeah.
1: So. The Braves have a lot of really interesting roster choices to make, regardless of the limits, right? Because you know, what do you do with like where are you betting Vaughn Grissom? Because Robbie Grossman's been playing reasonably well. Um, I'm with you on Trump though. Uh, one, it's like you know, Trump has been. <laughs> Weirdly good this year. Uh he'll have stretches where he looks like Babe Ruth uh down there at Gwinnett, and then you know he you won't hear from him for another 3 weeks. But say one thing about Snit is that he's very clearly he's uneasy about using both his catchers in the lineup, but he also knows that right now uh especially with the Marcelo Zuna quote unquote situation that the best lineup that they can run out right now has both William Contreras and Travis Darnot in it. And that having Trump on the roster is that extra guy, that extra catcher, just in case something goes wrong and someone gets hurt. That having him on the bench would make him feel a lot better about rolling out that line alignment. Uh, I'm not. We're not we not. We've talked on other podcasts about kind of you know what needs to happen with you know what can and should happen with, you know, Vaughn Grissom, Orlando Arcia, you know, here, Andre gone. You get some expanded rosters, which gives you some relief, you know, which relievers need to stay, which need to go, uh, very clearly. Once Ozzy is ready to go, he is going to have his roster spot back. There's no, you know, <laughs> there, no roster thievery has happened. You know, Vaughn Grissom has been very good since he's been up, uh, been a little bit of a swoon lately, but overall he's been good, but you know, he's not going to replace Ozzy this year. It's just not going to happen. Uh, overall though that they're going to have to make some choices to kind of what how to field the best line of each and every day and the the Braves definitely have some choices to make there with all that said, we are now going to go to the level by level. This is gonna be, again, kind of a, a quick rundown where we're kind of into the, the the dog days of the minor league season. And in addition to that, they just called up so many guys at this point that you know we we're running, we're we're it's running the coverage running a little bit bare these days, although we do have certainly have some interesting guys who got promoted to Augusta that uh from the draft class that we do want to make sure we touch on too. But first, we're gonna talk about Gwinnett, which uh looks an awful lot. I mean, there's real prospects on this team, but especially on the pitching side, but you know, it's more of a kind of a quad a lineup but that doesn't mean there hasn't been some interesting stories so tell us a little bit what's going on in Gwinnett
0: yeah offensively it's a it's a bit of a ragtag bunch but this last week Ryland Bannon has been ridiculously good he had an eight RBI game on Friday and a four RBI game on Sunday Uh, he's they picked him up where which system did they get him from again I cannot remember I'll ta- I,
1: I'll take a look. You go ahead. And, you go ahead and yeah. About okay. About him. They
0: got they got banned fairly recently off of waivers or something at some they got him recently from some team. I believe it was waivers and he's just a guy that they've uh, that's come over and hit very well for them. Um, again, kind of that minor league infield depth that they've been getting a ton of lately. The pitching side is more interesting for Gwinnett. Ian Anderson. Started again last week, didn't look all that hot. He did not walk anybody, which is good news there. That's the – obviously been his issue has been the walks, but – that, 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 that,
1: that, that And that was also the end of the good news, yeah.
0: Yeah, he got hit very hard, unfortunately. Um, Freddie Tarnock struggled a little bit with walks. He's been very, very good command-wise overall since being promoted. Uh, he had a bad game, had an off game, walked four guys – uh he did still strike out five, so it wasn't all bad, but he, he struggled a little bit there. The other guys on the team though did fairly well. Um Bryce Elder had a solid outing. Kyle Muller was fantastic, six and two thirds scoreless innings, nine strikeouts. He had he seemed to struggle a little bit right after he had broken his um offhand, his non-throwing hand. Uh but it's good to see him have a start. He's another guy that comes September may get a look. I, I'm not sure exactly, you know, with the Gwinnett, with Gwinnett season, there's only two roster spots in the Gwinnett season, Gwinnett season running towards the end of the year. Uh, there's not really as much of a place to bring him up and really give him a look at the major league level, but he's a guy that overall, he's had a fantastic year this year and going into spring training next year, he's going to be a really interesting name. A, a guy that you know, the Braves could move on from if another team is interested in him. He's just an interesting guy. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, going to like those final weeks of the season where there may be games that don't matter at all. He may be a guy that kind of gets a gets a start here and there to get some guys rest. But overall, he's just been very good. Very good this whole season. Darius Vines pitched out of relief again. I think it's more of a case with Vines. Um, I think Elder pitched out of relief, too. Yeah, Elder yeah, pitch yeah,
1: out yeah. Of, but that, that was a Soroka uh, But game, both though.
0: of those guys, it's a situation where there's so many starters at AAA right now with the guys coming down from the major league level, with Soroka rehabbing, with the, all the prospects being there. It's a situation where there's just not enough rotation spots right now. And they're pitching three, four innings out of relief. It's not like a one, two inning, one or two inning thing. And so Vines had another scoreless relief outing. I actually, I'm interested in Vines overall and seeing. He's done it so far very well at the AAA level. He's a guy that tends to struggle kind of the second, third time to, through a lineup. Seeing him kind of go out there once through a lineup and succeed like that gives – it's interesting because I do think that right now that's probably his most likely role, though I do think that there is starter potential for him. His most likely role with his fastball not being that great, it's kind of being a jump ball, middle reliever, swing man type, and he's looked very good so far in that role.
1: Yeah, I actually had to check on Riley Bannon mainly because I know that he had multiple teams in the month of August. Uh, so the way this worked is that uh, Baltimore optioned him, and then he they tried to get him through waivers. The Dodgers claimed him. He was there for roughly four days, it looks like, and then he was also got put on waivers by the Dodgers, and that's where the Braves snatched him up in the middle of August. Uh, so he came from the Dodgers organization by the the Orioles organization in the month of August. He's moved around a little bit, little bit. Had a Had had himself a good week last week. I will say that the Soroka, kind of get back to the Soroka relief, uh, rehab start, is that there were a lot of ground balls that got through, and it was just kind of, you know, it didn't feel like he was just getting shelled. He had one inning where he gave up those four runs that he gave up, and again, just a lot of ground balls getting through. You know, maybe with better infield defense, maybe that's not that's not what happens. And I think if he's getting a lot of ground balls, then he's probably feeling like he's in a pretty good place, and he was good the rest of the start, so I didn't really have any issues there. Uh, Ian did not look good though; he felt like he was just throwing batting practice he was getting hit pretty hard uh he was definitely in the strike zone but with that you know that low spin fastball of his and if he, if his breaker and his changeup aren't on then he has pitches that you can sit on and you can hit pretty hard that's unfortunately what happened to him he did have some strikeouts which was good uh so again you can't really complain too much about that uh i, I tend to agree with you that you know like you know elder and you know, Vines kind of doing these relief outings. One is kind of maybe keeping them around as an option if they want a longer man out of the 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 bullpen for the postseason roster for whatever reason, that, that they want to kind of keep those options open, keep those guys throwing while having all these guys down there in Gwinnett competing for innings. But also, again, it's just more of a function of just trying to make sure everyone stays on a regular schedule. It, it doesn't hurt to have a, a Darius Vines maybe not throw full six, seven innings. For the month of September or whatever, every outing, you know, it preserves his arm a little bit while also kind of keeping him going, keeping him fresh just in case they need him. Overall, for the Gwinnett, what you're looking at is the pitching staff. That's where the prospects are in Muller, in Tarnock, in Vines. Uh, I am at this point pretty skeptical, though, that, you know, Ian Anderson. I mean, I know what he's been uh, to the Braves in the postseason a couple years now, and I'm not – you know, indifferent to that. But at the same time, where he is right now, he looks lost and he looks like he's not sure what he's how he's supposed to, you know, be approaching himself as a pitcher to be able to get those swings and misses that he needs and be able to kind of live in the strike zone and do so safely. So I don't, you know, right now, this can change. And, you know, you keep making adjustments, you keep making adjustments, maybe he figures something out. But right now he just looks, you know, he just doesn't look the part of a major league pitcher and that's pretty sad. Uh, Now we go on to Mississippi where we have uh, one prospect who has really flourished uh, on the, uh, at the plate for Mississippi uh, as well as uh, probably one of our, you know, a really fun catcher story there. It's a pretty fun Mississippi team, although it's been pretty well ravaged by promotions at this point. So talk to us a little bit about Mississippi before we go to our break.
0: Yeah. Justin Henry Malloy, I
1: think, I
0: mean, I'm fairly
1: confident at this point
0: he's kind of taken over as maybe being the top position player prospect because I think our biggest question for him was whether he was going to hit a double A. You know, he was doing very well at high A, but this was a major college guy and that's not entirely unexpected, but he's gone up to double A and continued to hit. He hit for a lot of power this past week. He had four doubles. He had a couple of, he had two multi-double games and then he had two home runs this week. I mean. And and those came in back to back games. You know his strikeouts are a little bit high right now, but you know you're looking at small samples and overall strikeout rates, especially first time through Double A, it's not a huge deal. He walks a lot, approach guy. He's looked fairly solid in the left field. I think overall that power, like we saw last week, has to play for him because he is stuck in left field. He just wasn't able to stick at third base, but the bat has looked really good and. Overall, that's a guy that you can just hit and has shown some fairly decent power out there. Javier Valdez behind the plate has been really the one of the surprises of the season. He was very good at at Rome, and since coming to double A, he's has just kept hitting and hitting for power. It's definitely a fun bet to watch. I, I'm not so sure that we're looking at this as one of your top 30 prospects, but he's definitely someone that can put up some good numbers and having the Braves having a bunch of catchers you look at a guy like Chad Trump catchers can take more time to figure things out a lot of times and you've seen it with the Braves the past couple of seasons having catcher depth is always important and he's a guy that really could provide some depth for the Braves going forward in the future the pitching staff it's not was not great last week Dylan Dodd had a okay-ish outing. Roderick Munoz was very good for four innings. Uh, he retired the first 10 batters that he faced, had about six strikeouts through four innings and only one hit, one or two hits allowed. And then he kind of got cracked a little bit there in the fifth, wasn't able to get through the fifth inning, but he looked very good for four. That's We've talked about it before, how well you know he's a guy that with his off-speed awesome stuff, it, it plays well, but how well is he going to be able to continue to pitch two and three times through a lineup? I'm not entirely sure yet. This was one of those situations where once he got really the third time through the lineup, he really started to struggle, and that's not entirely rare for these younger pitchers. He's 22, I believe, so he's still fairly young. Yeah, he's, and yeah, he's a young guy. He, he's 22. He is going to be Rule 5 eligible. I think at this point he's done enough that he's going to be protected uh going into the next year and that's I mean it's an incredibly live arm and a guy that's really shown a lot of improvement just throughout this year and I've been impressed by the amount of strides he's been able to make now that he's healthy where he struggled with health last year he's been able to pitch without that problem this year
1: yeah Roderick remains a fascinating arm you talk about a you know a guy that has a fastball 96 97 can go a bit higher than that uh threatened triple digits when he was at Augusta hasn't really been thrown that hard this year and I think that's probably a good place for him to live just because you know when he's throwing as hard as he can one he doesn't seem like his arm is going to be able to hold up for that and two he doesn't really have the best command um the 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 slider is interesting pitch because you know he does tend to spike him a good bit but i mean he was breaking off some 90 90 mile an hour sliders last week which gets my attention from a stuff perspective now that doesn't necessarily mean that that uh, not all you know, again, velocity is really not everything. You know, getting the 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 tilt, the angle, of the spin, you know, how much movement horizontally he gets off of it. These are all things that matter quite a bit. But you know, for just you know just that metric alone, it, at least makes him interesting. He may end up being a reliever. It's entirely possible with that and with that with that repertoire, he could be a good one. But right now, he's a really interesting starting pitching prospect. But he's more he's definitely a project still. Uh, he's made strides this year. Absolutely, he has. Uh, but overall, he's kind of a guy that, you know, more of a back-end top 30 guy that we're keeping an eye on, but has really good stuff. And he's a guy who can make a jump if he really kind of pull, pulls things together and can start being a little bit more efficient. Uh, especially I mean, the one problem he's had this year is just a lot longer at bats. Uh, he, he'll the, When innings get away from him, it's when he like, goes against a guy and he has like an eight pitch at bat that either ends in a walk or a single, or even if it ends in an out, you know, just kind of battling one guy. That's It seems like that once that happens, that he can get a little bit gas, and that's when things can get get away from him uh with the Justin henry malai i i'm I am frankly surprised that he's performed as well as he has in double a I was a little bit skeptical of him I was really skeptical of him defensively at third base, but they uh seem to agree with that assessment and they decided to put him out in left field and that he has done well out there, and the the bat has not only you know not fallen off, but it's actually improved in my mind in terms of his ability to drive the ball and be kind of a consistent offensive threat. And he's been uh, he's been probably the most important hitter on Mississippi right now. I mean, Cade Bunnell has had a, had himself a good week. Cody Milligan's been continued to be good, but Justin Henry Malloy has been kind of like you know a big driver of that offense for a, a little a little while now, especially with Vaughn Grissom getting called up. So I will say though, Von Grissom has not. Not is still technically a prospect. He has not reached that threshold yet. So if you're, you know, in terms of the number one overall position player, it's still Vaughn Grissom. But once he graduates, which I'm fairly certain he'll get there, you know, we there's definitely going to be some weirdness happening in terms of, you know, once the rosters, you know, theft start settled and these guys start getting back from injury, you know, how many more plate appearances he gets is a more of an open question. But I think he ends up graduating, and then we we'll have to can take him off the list. But overall, he's, you know. It's still Vaughn's title until I say it, because Malloy has definitely not passed Vaughn in terms of overall ceiling or anything like that, at least in my mind. Before we get on to Rome and finish out with Augusta, we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. All right, Garrett, it is time to talk about our Rome Braves, which, again, another team that has still has some interesting prospects on it, to be certain, but another team that has lost a lot of guys' promotions. Uh, I mean, Von Grissom started the year here, and we've seen a lot of these guys get moved up to Mississippi and even up to Gwinnett and further up than that. So talk to us a little bit what's going on with Rome, with Rome and kind of the guys that have caught your eye there.
0: Yeah, um, overall, it's a lot of – a lot of these guys are older prospects. A guy like Drew Campbell had a very good week last week. Um, in terms of the younger prospects, you know, the guys that we consider like legitimate top 30 type guys, Geraldo Quintero had a very good week. Um, he had struggled for a couple of weeks there, but last week he really bounced back. He had a home run last week, which we were very skeptical of his power. He's maxed out physically, and he still only has about seven home runs this year. But uh, we're skeptical, skeptical about his defense, too. It seems like he's going to be limited to second base because he makes a lot of bad throws at third base. He has just don't look at his defensive numbers. I I would recommend not going and checking those out because it's, it's not pretty, but I mean, the guy can hit, you know, in terms of putting the batter on the ball, he did a very good job of that this week and he can run into a few home runs. You know, if he can show more of that gap power, like he did at low where he was splitting gaps, getting doubles, getting triples. He hasn't really done that at um, single a, and that's kind of where his numbers have suffered. But overall the contact numbers haven't really dipped off for him. Brandon Mosquita got off to a hot start at the level, didn't have a very good week last week. Um, he's another guy that he's been very inconsistent this year in terms of, he was very good early in the season. Then he started getting injured. You know, he got hit in the head a couple times, had a couple of injuries. We're not sure exactly why he missed time. And really since then, he hasn't been able to can get, get into a consistent flow. I am happy that they felt confident enough to move him up to high A, but unfortunately, Overall, he's just he missed so much time at single A this year that I think that he's not entirely physically ready for the level and just needs time. You know, this is just unfortunately the situation. Guys, when they get hurt, not only does it hurt them while they're hurt but even after that it can affect their development for the rest of the year and just what they're able capable of doing physically roy berselinas uh had a very bad game walked six guys yeah, in three innings.
1: yeah he, he somehow one, yeah.
0: only allowed two runs uh but, yeah, he walked six guys in three innings, and, yeah, his command lately has – he had one – last week he didn't walk anybody, but other than that, he's been walking three, four guys every single time out. And, you know, since that early start, the you know, his command looked good in Augusta, but it seems like, one, he may be tiring out a bit, and he's just a guy that with his delivery, the arm action there, one, I don't know if he's going to be able to physically hold up to a long season as a starter, and two – even if he can, I just don't think that he can repeat his delivery. He's just not athletic enough, and his um, delivery is so violent. I just don't see a guy that can compete, can repeat his delivery enough consistently to throw strikes.
1: Yeah, I've been kind of on the Roy Bursalinas is probably going to be reliever train for a while now. And the this the more I see out of him from his command over the course of, you know, once he throws basically over 30 pitches, Things can get a little dicey, and I think what we saw in Augusta was, you know, he does get a lot of movement, but I think that the guys in Augusta and low A were just swinging at everything, whereas once you get a little bit, once you get to high A, people start swinging a lot of that junk, and as a result, it's not, you know, he he has longer at bats, you know, they keep him a little bit more honest. I again, I I am firmly pretty much in the camp that he is a reliever, uh, despite the strikeout numbers this year, which are still like the totals overall this year are still very substantial. But just the wa- the walks are going to be a problem. I think the delivery is a problem. And so, and by the way, Roy Percellinus being a good reliever, that is not a bad outcome whatsoever. It's just the kind of the, the, the kind of the nature of things. Just kind of with his, with his kind of delivery and just. Not getting his lower half involved with you know his pitches the way I think they should uh, for a starter that, that's going to be kind of a tough sell for me for over the long term. I continue to be you know amazed by Geraldo Uh I I wonder if he's just going to be a good infielder at all is kind of my issue right now. The arm is a I think is a real concern. Uh, he can hit to be certain, but you know I I, I think he has to almost play second base to to prosper, which, you know, in this organization is going to be a little bit of a problem because they have both Ozzy Albies, who is a very good, obviously, some second baseman. And they also have Vaughn Grissom, who I think is if there was an opening at second base, that that's probably a better position for him long-term. And then you have Quintero, who again, can hit, but again, it's, it is at best gap power to me. I he's run into a few home runs this year and that it's possible that he gets more out of it than that i i remain skeptical of that the average exit velocity numbers are pretty ugly and as a result i think he's just more in front of a guy who can you know can hit but doesn't have power and might be without a position uh, other than second base which isn't a particularly great place for him to be in In this organization. So not really sure exactly what the future is for him long term. But right now, that's not really a problem because all you need to do is figure out if he can hit enough to move on to the next level and keep moving him up from there. And eventually you can make a decision on whether or not you're going to keep him around or you trade him off to a team that could use someone with that skill set. But overall, you know, that's kind of what we have going on for Rome. And let's talk about Augusta, Garrett, because Augusta is arguably the most interesting level right now because such a big chunk of the draft class is there right now. Once short season ball ended, we saw a ton of promotions head up to Augusta. We've gotten we've gotten to see Nacho Alvarez now play. We've seen McCabe. We've seen you know we've seen Kevin Kilpatrick. We've seen pitchers. Uh, both Owen Murphy and J.R. Ritchie made their debuts for Augusta this uh, this week. So we've actually gotten eyes on them now. So tell us a little bit what's going on with the Augusta Green Jackets.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the older college guys that I think we kind of expected to step in and just hit fairly well haven't, uh, McCabe, Drake Baldwin, Justin Janice. none of these guys have done very well. Um, and again, we, we've we talked about this before, draft year stuff. We don't put a ton of stock into numbers, especially when guys struggle because you know they're coming off of full college seasons, getting drafted, going through that process. It, it's a grind for them. And so guys struggling isn't a huge deal, but definitely those guys haven't haven't come in and immediately been impact guys. Um, a lot of the guys that have been with the team all season long, though, have been very good. Caden Morton really for the last couple of months has made a ton of improvements in terms of his swing. I, I'm i still, he still doesn't make enough contact, but he's making a whole lot more than he was early in the season. He's driving the ball more consistently. That's a great athlete. And a guy that the rate that he's making these adjustments is very promising and hopefully if he can continue this for the next year and really go into next year for the rest of this year and then going to next year with a lot of momentum, that's a guy that could get a lot of interest. Um Stephen Paolini, he had a sh- rough week last week, but he got back on track this week, hit very, hit very, very well this week, had a really big home run for them on, um, uh, on friday hit up hit that i mean that was a missile that he hit out and his bat looks a lot faster he's really he was able to turn on inside pitches and that was kind of something that he struggled with when he came up with augusta but he's made a lot of adjustments as well the two draftees that have been the most impressive uh kevin kilpatrick he was nuts. That, he was
1: nuts the other he day. was yeah.
0: great i mean he's been great he's had a ton of extra base hits he's had a home run uh, a, Again, a few too many strikeouts, but it's not like we're talking about small samples. And you know, he had like one three strikeout game that kind of inflates the numbers overall. I think the guy, though, that for me at least has been the most impressive by a wide margin has been Nacho Alvarez. I I mean, just his approach overall. This guy is 19 years old, so he's really. Barely older than a prep guy, and he's – I mean, look, low-A pitchers, they're not very good. These guys can't throw strikes, but this guy, he he's very difficult to beat in the zone. He fouls off tons of pitches. He hits a lot of line drives. He hit a ball opposite field on Sunday that he hit nearly to the wall on a line. Uh, he's a very strong – I don't think that a swing is necessarily geared for power right now, but he has the strength that if they can make some adjustments, I could see a ton of power from him. Everybody raised about his defense. But for me, just seeing the approach of that guy, of coming in and being able to work these deep counts. He has more strikeouts – I mean more walks than strikeouts, and three of his strikeouts came in his first game at low A. So since then, he's had seven walks, and he struck out twice, which is just – I mean just absolutely absurd. He's done everything right for them, and I am confident in terms of – There is power potential there if they can make the changes, because if you look at him on the field, he's a very strong guy. He's and the ball can come off of his bat hard. It's just a matter of the swing isn't necessarily the most. He doesn't create the most leverage with the swing and he doesn't lift the ball very well, but he can really hit and he can really play some defense and. The guy's only 19 years old, and I don't think that he's going to be at low A next year. I think he's going to be sitting there at high A in Rome as a 20 year old, which is a really good position to be, especially for a fifth round pick. The top guys though were Owen Murphy and J R Ritchie. Both had solid debuts. Ritchie Richie didn't strike out a ton of guys. We really didn't strike out anybody hardly, but he was okay. he was fairly solid for them. Owen Murphy, I. Was fairly impressed with what I saw. I think that curveball for him is very good. Uh, I love the way it plays out. The shape of his fastball—it's a very sharp pitch. It's got good velocity in terms of the relation, the velocity and the movement, and all of that plays well with his fastball. In a small sample, he didn't throw a ton of them, and I think that his numbers were somewhat skewed because he was clearly focusing on the fastball. It wasn't—you know—he would get up into counts and just pound guys with fastballs rather than really trying to put them away with breaking balls and i think that's just what they're having him focus on is commanding his fastball because the command wasn't that great for him um but overall in terms of the pure stuff i liked what i saw and i think that we'll see once he has a full season next year to really dig into that arsenal more i'm really interested to see what he i, I what he has, because I think that curveball, impre- the curveball impressed me more than I thought it would, and I was really expecting to be impressed, uh, but that's a really, really good off-speed pitch, uh, a, a pitch that can really carry him to a lot of success.
1: Yeah, I'll talk about Nacho here in a second, but just a couple of notes here. In Murphy's case, I think that what you're refer- referencing is that the tunnel that he creates with his fastball and his curveball, and kind of what when he gets the movement on his curveball is going to Pay off in a big way for Murphy down the line, uh, because there are some things about Murphy's fastball, like fastball characteristics, that aren't like necessarily ideal for how they pitch, how they how they pitch in the major leagues. He's not kind of like you know getting that late riding life uh, near the top of the zone, that sort of stuff. But I do think that his pitches play well off of each other, like you said. I think that you know halfway to the plate, it is not easy to pick up what you're swinging at. So and that and again I think that works out well. In Richie's case, I think that just kind of the different looks and the different types of pitches that he throws is just gonna make him very difficult to square up. And I think he's actually might, he might end up moving a little faster possibly than Murphy, uh, just because of kind of I think that he's just gonna have a little bit more in his arsenal earlier on. But both those guys have been very impressive. Uh, I'm a big Nacho Alvarez fan. I think that if he just gets to create the leverage that you're talking about to be able to drive the ball more, I think it's just in its hit in his hips. Because I mean, he's got strong, thick legs, and I mean, he's he does not look like a guy who you wonder if there's going to be power. Like he looks like a big, a strong guy, and I think that if he can just kind of get his hips more involved, kind of being able to get that his backside dipped in a little bit, where he can drive the ball and get the ball up a little bit. I don't think it requires that much of an adjustment for him to be a guy who can really drive the crap out of the ball. And he has a lot. I mean, he has a lot of things going for him. He has a great. Kind of feel for the zone. He can work the opposite way. He can run a bit, and I think something we have kind of you know not talked about enough, and we haven't got to see a whole lot of it yet, but he can play third. He's a very good defender over there. Uh, we haven't like kind of seen highlight reel plays like yet, but everything that we heard going coming out of the draft was that this guy is a plus glove at third, and if you have a plus glove at third and you can kind of work all over the field, if you can just hit some power get some power and there's nothing that i look at in alvarez right now without so much he have to make some adjustments to do it but i i think he's a guy that could get some power and he could be a really fun story uh kilpatrick is actually a part of uh the one of the weirder games that i've covered this year where augusta was down two to one in the top of the ninth and augusta proceeded to score nine runs which involved like five walks, a hit by a pitch, and then a grand slam hit by one, Kevin Kilpatrick Jr. So uh, the the. Unsurprisingly, Gosta won that game ten to two, and uh, um, that's kind of that, that. That was a source of Kilpatrick's numbers, but he's been good. He has been good. Uh, I have been a little bit disappointed, like you, in what we've seen out of McCabe and Baldwin so far. But only in that, I just wish we could see them at their best. I don't think that they're at their best right now. Uh, we're not going to be able to really kind of get a great read on those guys until next year. It, just from the looks of things, McCabe that, and McCabe hasn't been terrible, but he's like he's been producing here and there. Baldwin has not been particularly good, so I'm a little bit curious kind of what we're going to see from them uh, next year. But again, this is, these are draft year numbers. We will take the good stuff if it's there, but if they're bad, it's not that you don't write guys off for draft year, draft year performances whatsoever. But big fan of Nacho Alvarez here. Uh, if you aren't familiar with that name or you search him and you, if you search Nacho Alvarez and he doesn't pop up in, in whatever searches you guys are doing, uh, Ignacio Alvarez is what the name he goes is his official name, but he goes by Nacho Alvarez and I'm telling you this guy can play and he's going to be a lot of fun for us to watch. Well, Garrett, I think that's pretty much it. Is there anything else we have to cover before we let folks go? I think that's it. We had like one
0: FCL game last week, so there's really nothing to hear about there. Um, It was kind of good. I I think with the rookie ball levels, it's good to see they got a lot of those guys like Tavares healthy at the end of the year, so that was kind of the important thing there. But overall – I don't think we got a whole lot out of the complex league. Pretty much everybody that was good in the complex league is in Augusta right now, so there's really not a ton to go with there.
1: Yeah, we're not we're not missing out on a whole lot. A lot of the guys that aren't up in Augusta right now either just didn't have a lot of playing time, like in the case of Ambioris Tavares, uh, or in the case of Tyler Collins dealing with injuries, things like that. We and of note in Augusta, we still don't know what's going on with AJ Smith-Shoever. Uh, definitely not a great situation, but uh, we would certainly like to see at least know at least know what's going on with him, but he has not pitched in quite some time, and it doesn't look like he's going to, my guess is we won't see him the rest of the year, just ba- based on the fact that we just have heard actual nothing out of him, uh, and he doesn't really have anywhere to rehab, so it might be best to shut him down if he has something going on uh, to kind of get him back healthy. That's pretty much all the time we've got. We really appreciate each and every one of you for listening to the podcast. If you don't want to make sure, if you want to make sure you miss Zero Podcasts about the road to from the road to Atlanta crew here, you make sure you subscribe to the battery power podcast feed, which is on all plat- podcast platforms just search battery power. you'll see that battery power logo. you'll click subscribe not only do we get this podcast, you'll also get our flagship show hosted by the great Brad Rowland, The Daily Hammer hosted by the great Sean Coleman, and then the still somehow unnamed please guys name this thing there has there has to be a funny name that Chris and Stephen can come up with, but it's basically our deep dive once a week topic where they go into you know Big topics to talk about whether it be Marcelo Zuna, you know, what to do about Von Grissom, what his future is, uh, kind of projecting him to the Dansby Swanson contract to kind of big deep dive. They'll pick one or two topics and they'll really dig into them each week. Uh, They've been doing a great great job, great addition to the feed. And that's hosted by our fearless leader, Chris Willis, as well as Stephen Tolbert. Thank you all so much for all the support on the podcast. This has actually been a great podcast month for us in terms of downloads and all that stuff we really appreciate each and every one of you it's going to continue to get better and better too because you know while the minor league coverage over the coming weeks is going to be coming to uh, a bit of a a trickle is probably the best way to describe it you know the braves are going to be in the midst of a playoff run and you don't want to miss a single episode of any of those podcasts especially as we get into the postseason but with all that said until next time we'll see you on the road